From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. Um, and the other thing I wanted to say before we get into uh, our little discussion on Hagar uh, is um, you'll have to remember that we're talking about the whole, I think one of the major uh, stories of Abraham is his faith. And uh, I want to just spend a little bit about faith because now uh, we're going to look at the faith of Hagar. And um, I guess maybe the backstory to this is, so you have this situation where God comes to Abram and he says, Abram, I'm going to give you descendants. Uh, you and Sarai, I'm going to give you descendants. You're going to have so many kids. It'll be as numerous as the sky. And uh, Abram's at that point 75 plus years old. So he's not a young man. Uh, and then all of a sudden he goes home and he tells Sarai, hey, God came to me in a promise and he's going to give us descendants. It's going to be wonderful. They probably did the happy dance uh, around the compound. Uh, we're very, very excited. Um, and then nine years go by, nine or 10 long years go by and there's no children. Now here you're stuck with a situation where God made a promise but the promise hasn't come true yet. And the thing you got to struggle with is, uh, do, do you trust God that he's going to fulfill his promises or do you take matters into your own hands? I mean, the same thing is true with anything in life. Um, do you trust God and the promises that he has or do you start taking matters into your own hands? And particularly today in a society where we place so much faith in science, um, if if the promises of God and science, you know, aren't necessarily aligned, do you believe more in God or do you believe more in the science? And of course, for when did the scientific method happen? You know, I mean, probably since the 1700s, we have done an incredible amount of investigation into the world, uh, where we we know like. We know the gravitational constants. Uh, we know how you know strong forces, uh, strong gravitational forces, weak you know forces, strong forces. We know all the things, the laws of thermodynamics. These are things that that appear to be very very solid. You can put your faith and your trust in them. But we're now in a situation where uh, I just have to say the science appears to be. Um, based not only on, you know, t studies and tests and that sort of thing, but the interpretation of that science and how it's used in the world today has become just as much as political as it is raw science. And that is a, that is a very difficult thing for me because I went to school to learn the scientific method. Uh, you know, you do research you, and you trust the scientific method as far as you can, but the scientific method isn't perfect. You have a hypothesis, you run research, you analyze the data, and from that you come up with some conclusions. But it isn't necessarily a law, like the law of thermodynamics or the law of gravity. Those things are tested over and over and over and over again, and you never get a false positive. Like, it always comes true. But it seems like today, 
we have hypotheses and you have to remember these hypotheses even if they come up with a drug I, I, what they're going to come up with is they'll say we ran uh, the gold standard double blind randomized control trials uh, but and it, and then we ran the statistical analysis and it shows to a 95% confidence interval that 60% of the people got better on this drug. Uh, and if that was the case, my goodness, they will start prescribing that drug. But it won't, I mean, the thing you have to understand is that there's probably a side effect from that drug and there's potential for death in that drug. And that's been the case probably for the last 50 years. So when you see drugs on TV, they're saying, you know, this is the miracle drug for X, Y, or Z, high blood pressure or whatever. Um, what they don't necessarily show you, but it's written on the packaging, is that there is always a potential that A, it's not going to reduce your high blood pressure, and B, um, it is not, there is a potential for death or illness or sickness or something like that. And that's the world we live in right now. That's the world where uh, it's, you know, the scientists aren't 100% sure, they're 95% sure, and it's become politicized. So in that case, uh, you really have to, you know, you trust, you trust the doctors somewhat, um, and they're going to give you the treatment that they believe is the best treatment for you, and that's good. But at some point, you have to take a step of faith and say, I'm going to take this treatment, but if it kills me, if I'm the one in a million people that this drug really does kill, uh, have the faith that, uh, that all things work for good for those who love God who are called according to his purpose, right? Um, at some level, faith in God, in my opinion, faith in his promises have to walk alongside you. Otherwise, I think you freak out. Because you ask the doctor, hey, I'm going to take this drug. What are the side effects? And he goes, oh, you know, don't worry about it, whatever. And then you come home and you get on the internet, internet and you find out that some of these side effects of these drugs uh, are pretty severe and maybe some of the side effects are death. And you say, well, yeah, but I can't live with this condition uh, and so I'm going to take this drug. Um, and so you do. But at some point, you just have to say, uh, you have to have the faith that God's in charge. He's in control. And um, I don't know how anybody lives their life with, at some level without faith in God. That being said, now you have Abram and Sarah 10 years later. Uh, and the question you have to ask yourself is, like, who broke? Was it Sarah? Uh, Sarai? Is she the one that said, you know, I don't believe God's going to do this, but I think you should have an, a, a descendant? So here, sleep with my, with my maid? Or was it Abram saying, you know, I thought it was God, but I just don't see it's God. Uh, let me, you know, we have to find a different solution because God's not coming through. And the fact is, is, you know, who to blame? I would say both of them. Abram and Sarai are a marriage. They're a partnership. And in that partnership, the whole purpose of that partnership is to help build each other's faith uh, and to rely on the promises of God and stay true to the promises of God. They were there to help each other. Same thing is true with Adam and Eve. Adam, uh, Eve was created out of Adam, and he, she's called a helper. And one of the roles of Eve is to help Adam grow in his faith and to do the job that, that God called him to. And so when the serpent came to Eve, uh, you know, it should have been their marriage and their trust in God and the trust in the promises of God that got him through it. 
but it didn't work out that way. Um, and sometimes that, you know, that happens, but a really good, strong marriage, a really good partnership like that, uh, because you can have partnerships like that with other people too, but I mean, the marriage is your major, you know, your major partnership in life. One of the things that's supposed to do is to help each other uh, see the beauty and the promises of God and help them hold on to the promises of God. And that is, you know, I tell people when I, when I marry them, um, you know, the, your marriage relationship is the most important relationship you'll ever have in your life. And the whole purpose of it is to help you turn into the person, to grow into the person that God wants you to be. And that means growing in your faith. And so our, our spouses are there to help us grow in our faith, to grow deep roots. Um, you know, they always say that opposites attract. And I do believe that's true with personality. But when it comes to character or faith, uh, I think like, like people attract. And there's a huge attraction there maybe at a, a very subliminal level uh, that, that you see the faith of somebody else and maybe that's very attractive to you um, if you have a strong faith. I mean, if, if you're, wherever you are in your faith life, you wanna try to find somebody that, that you know, is gonna help you grow in your faith for sure. And that's part of the purposes of marriage. So when it comes to Abram and Sarai, I don't know who broke first, but it doesn't really matter. They were both there to help each other cling to the promises of God, and they took matters into their own hand. It did not go well. Uh, Sarai offers Hagar as a person uh, to, that Abram would sleep with to have a descendant. That happens, and then all of a sudden conflict happens in the house, uh, and Hagar runs into the desert. And that's kind of really where you pick up the story, and we'll just pick up that story today because something amazing happens when Hagar goes into the desert. Uh, and let's just take a look at that. This is Genesis chapter 16, beginning at verse seven. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarah, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Now, this doesn't sound like much, but oh my goodness, there's so much in this little passage. First of all, the angel of the Lord comes to Hagar. Now, this angel of the Lord appears all throughout the Old Testament uh, it is a messenger from God, a messenger from Elohim, uh, from uh, Yahweh, um, Malach Yahweh. And this person, uh, who is he, right? Um, well, you say, well, it's an angel. But yeah, but what is an angel in the Old Testament? Uh, because first of all, this one seems to know who she is, right? You are a slave of Sarai. Um, we, we know who you are. So he seems to have intimate knowledge about Hagar. That's interesting. Uh, and, sh and then he says, go back to your miss. He tells her commands. Um, and then he gives her a promise. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. So an angel from God, at least this angel from God, seems to know Hagar, 
uh, give promises that he thinks, you know, give commands to Hagar and give promises. Now, who does things like that? Well, we know that God does things like that. Um, but here it's called a messenger of God. So, uh, you know, people who have scholars that have looked at this, they have said, well, is this a theophany? In the Old Testament, you have a thing called a theophany, which is where God takes on a human form uh, to make communication. Um, that's called a theophany. And is would this be a theophany of God? Um, or is it just a messenger from God, that someone who knows God so intimately that uh, this messenger can speak for God? Like maybe God told the messenger, okay, go find Hagar. This is who she is. Boom, 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 boom. And the messenger goes and relays the message of God. Um, that's, you know, a, a definitely interpretation. Uh, some people have seen it as actual God himself taking on human form. Those are called theophanies. And, they, and we see these in the, in the Old Testament. We'll see them more in Genesis. Um, or is it when God takes on human form, what does he look like? And uh, some New Testament scholars and people have studied it said, well, maybe when God takes on human form, it looks like Jesus, like the adult Jesus. We don't know. We don't have pictures. Um, it is interesting, though, uh, just a bit of a little fun fact that um, light travels at the speed of light, right? But if you could travel faster than the speed of light, if that was possible, uh, if you could go a hundred times or a thousand times the speed of light, could you, like, I know this is going to sound crazy, uh, but could you go out into the universe at the faster than the speed of light and set up a camera and pick up a pixel of what the earth looked like 6,000 years ago? And then you go again, traveling a thousand times the speed of light, and you go, you know, 6,000 times, and you pick up pixels out in the universe at specific locations, and you get a dot image of what was going on. And could you actually pick up a picture of what this person looked like when he talked to Sarai? And was it a theophany? Was it Jesus? Was it a theophany? Of course, you could do this all throughout you know, the future. It's not the future. It is, it is going to a space in time today um, where light has been traveling through the universe in a vacuum to pick up pixels to be able to see, um, you know, oh, that's just, that's just crazy stuff. I know, I know, I know, I know. We can't go fast to the speed of life. Or, uh, well, at least we haven't found out yet that we can go faster than the speed of light. We haven't found out yet how wormholes work and all that sort of thing. It's just stuff to fun to think of. So the angel of the Lord found this Hagar in a spring near the desert. Uh, and she said she's running away from her mistress. And then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel gives a promise to Hagar. He says, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. So this is a similar promise that God made to, um, to Abram, right? Uh, he said, I will give you two, 
too many descendants that you can't count. Look at the stars in the sky. That's how many you're going to have. And this, this person says the same thing to Hagar. I will, give, I will increase your descendants so much that they too will be too numerous to count. So this is a promise to Hagar. You're going to have descendants. And it's all from the angel of the Lord. Now, I know that we had visions of, uh, you know, somebody coming to speak to Abram. Uh, that was just God came and spoke. But here is specifically the angel of the Lord. It's that type of language that's used. This is the first time it's used in the Old Testament. Uh, but it's not the last time it's used in the Old Testament. And so uh, we'll have to, we'll have to, what I want to do, I'm not going to tell you what I believe yet. I think we need to just, when the angel of the Lord pops up, I think we should look at what the angel of the Lord says and what he does and what message he communicates. Um, and then, um, and what, you know, uh, how he says things. Like the angel said, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord doesn't say, the Lord will increase your descendants or, uh, it, it, the language in, that he uses to communicate to people is just very curious, the way that he talks. If you were an angel and a messenger of God, wouldn't you say, I'm a messenger from the Lord, um, and this is what God is saying to you? I mean, those are the types of things that you would say if you were a messenger like an angel that we think of an angel today. But in verse 10, the angel says, well, look at it. Verse 10, the angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they'll be too numerous to count. I mean, that is, not, that is not language to say that I'm representing somebody necessarily here in this passage. So we have to look at, there's a whole bunch of them that happen in Genesis. Maybe in the last one um, that occurs in Genesis, uh, we'll spend some time trying to figure out from all of these occurrences where the angel of the Lord shows up, who is the angel of the Lord? So I'm just going to kind of tease you with that. We're not going to answer it today. We've got, we need more data to figure that out. Data. We need data. Um, as David Tennant would say, as Doctor Who, data. All right. So uh, we are going to go um, to uh, verse 11 or verse, yeah, verse 11. Let's take a look at verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. I mean, okay, not a girl. It's going to be a son. The angel seems to know that. Now, God could have told that to the angel. Okay, all right. Uh, and you will name him. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He'll be a wide, wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. Oh my goodness. So, um, uh, Ishmael, the name Ishmael. Remember, if it ends with L, that stands for Elohim. It's a Hebrew name. It means God. It means God something. Yishamel. Uh, it means basically that God will hear. Um, God maybe has heard her pain and her misery uh, from, from the fact that she had this uh, encounter with, with uh, Sarai. 
but and the angel came and heard her. Uh, but the angel tells her to go back um, and to be part of this community, this tribe called Abraham. Uh, let's see, you will give birth to a son. You name him Ishmael. The Lord has heard your misery. Uh, he will be a wild donkey of a man. So that's interesting. This Ishmael will be wild, a donkey. And his hand will be against everyone. Uh, and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all of his brothers. So that doesn't really sound like a great promise, right? Um, by the way, you're going to have a son and you're going to have lots of descendants, but this particular son that you're going to have will be like a wild donkey of a man, and his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He'll be in conflict for the whole entire life uh, for his brothers, uh, and anybody that comes into contact with him will just have a rough relationship with Ishmael. Um, that's interesting, too. Uh, as we get into it, well, uh, she does have Ishmael. She does have sons. She calls him Ishmael. Um, that Ishmael ends up the the um, the native population of the ancient Near East. The the people who are not uh, followers of Yahweh. The the ones who are um, well, they're followers of Yahweh because they're followers of Abram. But they're not they're not uh, they're not descendants of Isaac, who ends up being the other son. Um, they end up being a wild clan. And they, they see their roots as being more from uh, Ishmael than they do from the other son that comes along. Uh, and so, um, uh, well, let's just finish off this chapter. Uh, at least, I think, we'll read it. So she, Hagar, gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Oh, there we go. The God who sees me, El Roi, is the name of God who sees. El, God, Roi, sees, E, me, uh, El Roi. It's the first name of God. Oh, it's the first name of, it wasn't showing you me. Um, El Roi is the name of God. Um, uh, that's the first, uh, so in the written word, you have, uh, he's known as Yahweh or Elohim, right? Um, but here is the first time we have actually somebody in the Old Testament giving a name to God. Now you have to remember, Hagar is most likely somebody that came out of Egypt uh, when Abram and Sarah went into Egypt because of the famine. They came out. Now they have an Egyptian slave. I think they picked her up when she was in Egypt, so I think she is part of the Egyptian culture. And if you remember the Egyptian culture... They had gods for everything. They had Ra, uh, and they had, you know, if, if anybody, they had the great God, and they had all the lesser gods. And so Hagar brings with her that baggage, if you will. Uh, cert certainly she lived in uh, Abram's tent uh, and knew Abram in a biblical sense, uh, but she, she has to give a name to this theophany or this angel um, who, and, and look again, what does it say? Here we go. This is another interesting thing. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, uh, for I have now seen the one who sees me. Uh, and that is why the well is called Be'er Lahai Roi. El Roi is, is uh, the God who sees me. Be'er Lahai Roi is the 
Ba'er is the well, Lahai is, is to the living, uh, Roi is, is uh, the one who sees me, the living one who sees me, the well to the living one who sees me. Um, I have now seen the one who sees me, and that is why the well is called Ba'er Lahai Roi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. It is still there. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So now we have a whole bunch of information here. First of all, um, she calls the god El Roi, for I've now seen the one who sees me, and that is the well, it is now called the well to the one who sees me, and it is still there. So when Moses is writing this years later, generations later, um, he says, yeah, and that well is still there. Um, and my guess is the well is still there. There's probably, if we looked it up online, the Be'ir Lahi Roi, you'd find a copy of the well. Maybe I'll do that. And so Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. And Abram was 86 years old. So, um, so he must have been 75. If he was 75 at the promise of God, uh, and then, yeah, so he's 75 at the promise of God. He waits 10 years, uh, and he decides that he's going to take matters in his own hands. He's 85 years old, and now he's 86 because Hagar bears a son. It takes about a, a year to go from uh, impregnation to the son. Um, and so here we go. Hagar bears Abram, his firstborn son. And the question you have to ask is, does, does the wealth of Abram now go to Ishmael or uh, who is not the line that God wanted or does it go somewhere else? And we'll have to talk about uh, the, the whole prodigeneity of, uh, of the firstborn and how, uh, how wealth has to be maintained together. Uh, you can't diversify your wealth and give a little bit to each son. That's not how tribal stuff works. The power of the tribe comes into the wealth of the tribe. And so that whole wealth has to stay together. And so that has to go to somebody, one person that has to go to, to kind of keep the family and the tribe together and keep it running. It's like an empire. It's like a business. It's like a, a kingdom, right? It's like, and so in order for that wealth to stay together, it can't be diversified because the power of a kingdom is in the wealth of the kingdom and the size of the kingdom. So you have to elect somebody or appoint somebody or somehow one person has to be in charge. And that was typically the firstborn son. And now um, Ishmael is the firstborn son of Abram, but not of Sarai. And that poses all sorts of interesting, difficult problems for Abram that he didn't think through very well. And so now he's got a son from a slave and he's got a wife that's angry and he's got a slave who's in conflict with his wife and Abram's in a mess here. Uh, and I'll just tell you that anytime you take your faith and you put it in your own devices, and I will even say this, even with the COVID stuff, um, when God and science disagree and God and science overlap in so many different ways. I mean, there, there's no question. They overlap 90 to 95% of the time. The really where you have to struggle is where the world around you is telling you one thing, but you know that the word of God is telling you something else. 
And that's where rubber hits the road. That's where it becomes difficult. And you're going to say to yourself, do I, do I trust what the scientists are trying to tell me or do I trust what God's word tells me? And we're all in those, in any of the things where we have the laws of science, the law of gravity, the law of um, weak forces, you know, weak electric forces, strong of electric forces, uh, the, the thermodynamic laws, all of those things do not at all conflict with God, at all. Um, it's the later we ran an analysis and we're about 90% sure that this kind of stuff happens. Um, and so we want you to trust us. Well, is 90% sure, 100% sure? So even like the age of the year, uh, well, I won't go with the age of the universe. Um, uh, what's something that we can all say, yeah, but? Um, well, there's hundreds of them, right? Dinosaurs. You know, where? when did dinosaurs die out, okay? Well, the scientists will tell you that happened at the second glacier ice, ice age from the Mesozoic period from, a bill, you know, 500 million years ago, or 50 million years ago. That's when the dinosaurs, you know. Um, you look at Genesis, like, well, maybe, you know, God created all the animals and they didn't evolve. Then they probably came at creation or at some point God created them, right? So maybe they came later on in life. And then, of course, you read or see pictures of cave drawings that show cavemen fighting dinosaurs. It's like, well, that's an interesting point. What, what is that all about? Um, now, in our day-to-day -day life, does it matter when the dinosaurs live? Absolutely not. But um, part of strengthening your faith is just clinging on to the promises of God as much as you can. And um, it's just interesting. So uh, we'll get into that because Abram had a strong faith. And so we should look at Abram as an example of faith. And so how did, what did, how did he react and what did he do? We'll look into that some more. I've gone way over time and I'm sorry about that. So um, thanks for joining me today and God's richest blessings on you. Thanks for our time together. Let's just close in prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for this day. Uh, thank you for this time together. Help us to cling to you and to your promises. Help build our faith. In Jesus' name.